Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Shot of Time. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Barnes. This episode, we're going to be focusing on Dark Season 3, Episode 4. It's called The Origin, and I'm here with my other host. She's from one of my stories, and she is, yeah, she's from one of my stories. Here she is. <laughs> Ahoy there, Lindsay Dunn. Ahoy. Ahoy, Steve. <laughs> Should I take that again? <laughs> I don't know. It's always good to be remembered. <laughs> it's always good to be remembered. No, you were just trying to think of what words you could use to describe me, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, every week it's this. It's it's pretty much the same. But I know that there's gonna, probably going to be a new person every time. Lindsay supplies us with our written recaps, as everybody knows, and this one is no different. We're talking about the origin, and. Lindsay, right away. What I wanted to talk about with the, with the title of this episode, as I was alluding to before we started recording, mm -hmm. is back in um, when we were doing Wheel of Time, and early on, I think, when we were doing Dark, a lot of these episodes had titles that were pretty vague, and you could like look at them in all kinds of different ways, and you could extrapolate different meanings just from the title itself. Right. And we haven't done, I haven't done that in a while. Um, I've kind of slipped by the wayside about that because there's so much to talk about with Dark. I haven't really delved into that. But this episode, I think, is important because pretty much every scene, there is an origin of something. And um, I was going to kind of hope, hoping to point those out as we go along because some of them are extrapolating and reaching, you might say. But I do think that there is a lot of significant origins that we're exposed to this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, of course, we got the origin, which, you know, um, everybody who's seen this episode has seen the end of it. And that gives us like a, a pretty big guess to an origin, but lots of small origins too, Lindsay. I'm telling you, did you notice anything like that along the way? Or were you thinking along those lines at all? Well, I was just kind of musing about the fact that once again, multiple times during this episode, we have somebody saying, and this is where it all began. <laughs> and we're like, okay, when are we going to get to what the actual beginning is? And, but yet there's all these concepts that have been implanted or inceptioned into the episode about not, mm -hmm. sorry, not the episode, the show, things like the bootstrap paradox that tell us there is no beginning. And so even though this is titled the origin and we get supposedly the origin by the end of this episode, I still have sort of my doubts or my own thoughts about, is that actually what I would call the origin? Hmm. Well, I mean, they keep saying and hammering over our head, <laughs> the beginning is the end and the end is the beginning. Right. So That's another <laughs> common <laughs> phrase in the show that I think this is, again, open to interpretation, even though maybe mm -hmm. some people might be encouraged to think, well, no, this is the ultimate definition. They're telling us that it's the origin. They're calling the it the origin. beginning. Adam's calling it the beginning. And Eve is sort of calling it the beginning also. But 
is it really, are they really as smart as they think they are? Are they really right as they think they are? Because as we've seen, nobody really has the full story. They keep thinking the other person is mm-hmm. as, uh, lacking some of the facts and they have the true answer, but I'm starting to doubt whether anybody actually knows what they're doing at all. It's kind of like <laughs> the videos where people explain um, tenant and they say, I'm going to explain tenant to you. And I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand really what <laughs> nobody really does. So it's funny that you're trying to explain it. Go ahead. I'm appreciating it. But I still don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and that's the beauty of tenant. I don't understand it completely. No, I don't think anybody has okay. all of the all of the facts right. Maybe Christopher Nolan. Right. Maybe him. Maybe. Maybe not. Probably him and his group of writers teamed together could figure it out. But one individual, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I mean, the point I was going to make with the beginning is the end of the end is the beginning. I wouldn't expect to have any answers until the very end of this series. Mm. And it's yeah. a it's a wrapped up, you know, three season series. So it's kind of, you know, even though this says it's the origin, um, I don't think we'll actually see the true beginning until we see the end. <laughs> That's a good, that is a very good point. If it really was the end, would we need the mm-hmm. rest of the show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will have some, I think, specific things to share at the end of the episode about the definition of the origin. But I will save that for the end, our concluding thoughts. Okay. Well, let's get there then. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move forward and get to that point. So uh, are you ready to get onto our recap then, Lindsay? I am. Yes, I'm so ready. Yeah, same. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So the episode opens in the 1950s. Trant is a teenager. And he's aged up. He's no longer little boy Trant. He walks home in the woods wearing a dark maroon scarf and finds himself drawn to the caves. He hears noises within. And I also wanted to point out that as he's walking, he does this thing where he hears a noise and he turns around. Mm-hmm. And I thought about Francisca. Mm-hmm. And the okay. iconic shot from from yeah. season one where she's walking in the woods. Of course, Trant doesn't have the fiery red hair that Francisca does. So it's not quite <laughs> as iconic. <laughs> but, but it does mirror it though. Yeah, I can see yeah, that. He does have but he does have pretty lustrous hair for a man, also. And uh <laughs> And he's got yeah. the red scarf to make it up. There's a lot, I will say overall, you know, we can say, you can say, well, I noticed a lot of origin. I thought, well, I noticed a lot of mirroring this episode, <laughs> repeats of, okay. of themes. And that's just one of them right off. Sure. So um, he hears noises within. A voice interrupts his thoughts. We're attracted to the dark like moths to light. We are born out of the darkness and we return to it. Now, I forgot to look up if this was a quote from somebody. I don't think we've heard this line before, but I thought, hmm, which famous philosopher said that? <laughs> it does sound like a quote, and um, I disagree with it. I, I think I would change the word dark to water, 
we're attracted to the water like moths to the light because I'm certainly not attracted to the dark. I mean, maybe like quote unquote like dark themed things. Mm -hmm. But if I see like a dark hole with no light inside, I'm not attracted (laughs) to that. I'm more attracted. I think humans are attracted to water and we see, um, you know, proof of that when you see like uh, populations of coasts of any country that everybody lives by the water. Water or fire? I think oh, you start a bonfire. People okay. just swarm around it. Correct. <laughs> it's, yeah, you're right about back that. To, that's how civilization supposedly started, right? Someone started campfire mm-hmm. and then people came and sat around it and talked to each other for once. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the elements that we're attracted to in general. I think I think he's wrong with this darkness thing, but go on and we'll we'll yeah. we'll, we'll move forward. <laughs> but I did think his idea was interesting he said we are born out of the darkness and we return to it and that's true that we're born inside of a womb and it's dark true and so i thought about that but i can see how we might not want we might not agree to this yeah i'm not going like (laughs) let me find a dark cave now i might there's an attraction (laughs) as far as like oh there's a mystery you know where what lies within but yeah Nope. So, <laughs> so the voice belongs to the unknown. He pro- approaches Trant with an air of intimacy and curiosity. Trant won- wonders if they know one another, and the inno- unknown replies that he knew his mother a long time ago, and the wording feels similar to what the stranger said when he approached Jonas for the first time. Mm. Now, I did go back and watch that scene, Steve, because I was curious how closely it actually matched it. The only thing that the stranger did not say to Jonas was um, your eyes. He didn't say that part, but everything else was exactly the same in a different (laughs) order. But there was all, um, do I know you? You look a lot like them. Okay. Um, That was a long, I knew them. That was a long time ago. So, um, but you look like them, your eyes, that the stranger didn't say that to Jonas, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. um, Yeah. The unknown notices Trant similar to Agnes, especially his eyes. He tells Trant he himself doesn't have a name, but gave Trant his own name. (laughs) And this scene and others with the unknown make some progress in humanizing him. He has wisdom to share. He wants to share his wisdom with Trant. Heavily hinting that he's his dad, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I don't have a name, but I gave you yours. That's a huge hint right there. And I think Trant picks it up, too. So the other two unknown converge upon him in a triangle formation. There's a lot of triangles (laughs) this episode as well. That's right. Trant looks frightened, but the un- the adult unknown holds up his hand in a calming motion. They mean Trant no harm. The unknown gifts him an Ouroboros bracelet, the snake eating its own tail. He tells Trant it belonged to his mother once. Mm-hmm. And then we get the title credits. What did you think of this scene, Steve? Did you like this scene? Um, Kind of, yeah. There's things I really did like about it. Um, the bracelet, first off, it reminded me of Wheel of Time because there's a bracelet similar to this in Wheel of Time, too. Ouroboros is heavily 
you know, tied in with that. Um, I thought that they were going to kill him, but then I was like, wait, he's got like plot armor because we know that he grows up so that they can't kill him. Mm. So I was, you know, I was kind of afraid that that was going to happen, but then, you know, the realization, um, I thought it was very interesting learning that he was the dad. So I really hung on to that a lot. Um, this is the nicest version of the unknown that we've seen so far. So, so yeah, of course I like that a little bit. Like we haven't seen him be so kind. Yeah. He almost reminded me a little bit in his approach of Noah. Sure. Yeah. His stiff manner. No, I didn't think of it. I mean, of course, he's a little stiff because he doesn't get out much. I mean, he only well, they both do the thing where they cross their hands in front of their like chest. They they all do that. Noah and the unknown. (laughs) And of course, it's always weird when you start a conversation with a quote. But I think (laughs) his the way he talks to Trant is just like you know, calming. He has like sort of this calming yeah. voice. Trent, Trent at one point wants to bolt, but, yes. <laughs> but the guy like holds his hand up and he has such a way about him. We talked about his flourish <laughs> last week and he mm-hmm. gives it, it was the bracelet and he takes two fingers and folds them down mm-hmm. over Trant's in like one <laughs> smooth motion to say like, this is yours. He's just, there's something kind of smooth about him, even though he is awkward He's very, he's very like quiet on the inside. I know you don't like him that much, but I just, I think this scene was so interesting having him interact with his son and not knowing how to do it, but he's sort of wanting to make a connection almost. I'm warming up to him a little bit. I don't hate him so much anymore. (laughs) Um, The only thing I wanted to bring up before we move forward, because I know our title credits are getting ready to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, they they implied this noise coming from the cave and everybody hears it. Mm-hmm. The whole Scooby gang hears it like in the first episode and Martha's gang hears it when they go to like check for Killian's brother and all that kind of stuff. And then Trant hears it here. Um, is there something in particular they're hearing? Are they hearing when somebody opens up the door and the wind whooshes through? I did not pay attention to what the noise was what kind of noise was it um just a creepy um th- it always just says unsettling noise like is what the uh <laughs> the mm-hmm. the words say across the screen and yeah. it just you know i i don't know it just kind of sounds like a scary noise in a scary movie your yeah. standard it could be somebody it could be somebody traveling. It could be mm-hmm. Noah putting stacking bricks. I mean, who knows who's in there? <laughs> I don't think Noah's in there at this time, but I was I was leaning towards like when somebody opens and closes the door, like it makes the wind whoosh around. But I didn't know if you like had an immediate answer for that. I don't. If you don't, I'll research it for later maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, across town, Egon and Hannah are having sex. And it's kind of wild. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, ex- exhausting. There's lots of energy being yeah. expended. Yeah. 
Yes, there is. That's right. Enthusiasm, but no true emotion in the act. That's but the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't Ulrich hate that he and Egon slept with the same woman? <laughs> yep, he would. Uh, afterwards, she puts on makeup in front of the mirror as Egon dresses. Here's the lipstick uh, scene, Steve, that mm-hmm, you were you mm-hmm. talked about. Oh, he tells right. her, yeah, he tells her he loves her, but Hannah just smiles. There's no guile in his words. Unlike Ulrich, he says all the right words, at least after intimacy. He then gives her a St. Christopher medallion, perhaps the first pass we have seen chronologically of the medallion. Uh-huh. Origin. Because, yeah. Origin, right? I forgot to mention that in our last scene, okay. that bracelet, that was the origin of that bracelet. I forgot to say that. Um, well, he did say it belonged to Tron's mother, but, you know, I never saw it on her. I don't remember seeing it. Me neither. On her, but, uh, so yeah, chronologically, maybe this is the first time in, you know, in space and time that we've seen the bracelet. But yeah. the St. Christopher Medallion, absolutely. This is like the yeah. first earliest passing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, uh, yeah, passing. Um, but you did mention, and I think you're right, Steve, that Egon does have this hanging over his car mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we saw it earlier. But yes, when it's like me giving it to somebody else, passing it on to a new person, I think it is the first Regifting pass. it. Yeah. Just in time for Christmas. <laughs> Um, okay, he puts the medallion around her neck. She's wearing a blue robe. She glances dejectedly at the pendant. Egon <laughs> notices her lack of enthusiasm, but she just says that she hasn't been feeling well. She wants to see him later, but he decides it's best to stay home tonight. Before he right. leaves, he tells Hannah how glad she, how glad he is that she stayed in Winden. He tucks her hair behind her ears and tells her she's beautiful. A haunting (laughs) reminder of Ulrich's words. Hannah seems disturbed by the deja vu. (laughs) He said both the things. He said, Mm -hmm. I love you. And he said, you're beautiful. So that's like win-win, right? (laughs) At this point, I'm liking you, Don. Yeah, she doesn't say it back to him. No, of course not. The 1950s suit her. Like this um, this time Mm -hmm. era. (laughs) Like her hairstyle and stuff and the way she's dressing. Yeah. It like really suits her. Oh, and I wrote down green robe. That's, we have a little bit of um, perception issues here. Because <laughs> last last episode, you said it was a yellow pillow by Martha. <laughs> I could have swore it was orange. Here, you wrote down blue. I wrote down green. <laughs> well, which one of us has slight color blindness? I don't know. But it's in that it's in that color. Like Yana does this does the same thing too, where sometimes she's wearing like a blue green shawl or whatever. So mm-hmm. I guess when I say blue, I'm thinking of the you know when it's when it's like between colors. I always think about you know red, yellow, and blue being our three main colors. So right, when I see right. something that's in that. I'm automatically thinking blue, even though I could say, oh, it's teal or it's lagoon. (laughs) That's what Charlotte would be saying if she was on this podcast. You'd be like correcting us left and right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, I have two points I wanted to make, or maybe questions. So why is Hannah like seem like she's not into this medallion? Does she know like of this significance or is she just resistant of gifts in general? I think it's more that she's resistant of Egon. Like she, you know, we know she doesn't really care about Egon. Right. She just sort of using him as, I don't really know what she's using him as. I mean, she wants to feel wanted, but she, the whole reason she came was to get revenge on Ulrich. She right. got to do that. And now she's just making Egon's life miserable <laughs> on some level. <laughs> and I think maybe when he gives her the medallion, she's just unenthusiastic because she's not really that into him. So now she's like, Oh, he's giving me gifts okay. now. I don't know. Okay. I'm just thinking about my own personal, um, like gifts are if not my love dude, language. Yeah. But okay. if, um, but if a guy I really liked gave me, a, gave me like a keychain, I'd probably be into it, you know? But Whereas if another guy gives that I don't like that much gives me a really nice gift, then I'm feeling a little bit threatened and like, oh my gosh, like, what are they thinking right. about this? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, that re leads right into my second point, which I think, mm -hmm. speaking of the origin, perhaps she is the origin. She's here inadvertently to corrupt Egon, to make him into a bad cop so that he influences Ulrich to become a cop <laughs> to perpetuate the whole loop. Perhaps she is the origin in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, later on, I have an interesting tie in with Hannah with the origin also. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's a good point that, I mean, in a way, everybody in the show is an origin of some kind. That's right. Yeah. Quantum entanglement. <laughs> Everybody take a drink every time we say origin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, September 24th, 1954. Oh, this was an interesting scene. Young Claudia and Inez Conwalt giggle as they look at pictures in a girly <laughs> magazine. Mm -hmm. Yana stands close by, but tries to stay apart from the other two girls and the shocking images. Right. Inez tells Claudia that she found it in her dad's stuff. Yana tries to get them to move towards school, but the girls resist, insisting that you don't really learn anything in the classroom. <laughs> this all tracks. Daniel Conwald, like, <laughs> telling his daughter this stuff, and, like, she's finding this nudie magazine. Yeah. Sounds like Daniel Conwald to me. Yeah. Inez slyly asks Claudia if she's ever seen a naked man before, one that's mm. not her dad. <laughs> Claudia nods yes and reveals that she's seen all of Trant, shocking Yana and pleasing Inez. The girls wonder aloud where Agnes has gone. So, yeah, this is maybe the origin of um, Yana's deep-seated jealousy of Claudia, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this is a fun scene, seeing these kids doing this stuff and, and giggling. And then Yana, like, obviously doesn't want to be part of them and is, like, trying to distance herself from them. Mm -hmm. But still wants to, you know, be part of the gang, but not really. 
Well, I think there was a scene in, or it was either season one or season two, Yana and Inez were um, at the shop together Mm -hmm. at Tanhouse's shop when they were girls. So again, we're getting triangulation. It's almost like Yana and Inez were friends and then Claudia gets inserted in the Mm -hmm. middle. And this is a common thing that happens in middle school. There'll be two girls, they're best friends. And then a new person comes in town and kind of inserts herself. Now, it's not that Claudia moved into town. She's always been there, but um, she's somehow kind of causing a fuss between, I feel like Yana and Inez had a connection, but now Claudia is kind of the cool friend or the more interesting friend right now. But that's why Yana is still hanging out on the side. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So here's where I put a little personal commentary into this. Yeah, Um, I liked it. From the recap, Inez is one of the most mysterious characters on the show, which is why it's interesting that we're getting this scene. We haven't seen much of her as a little girl. Mm -hmm. We only saw them that one time in the shop. All we know is that she is the daughter of Daniel Conwald and a friend to Yana. She never marries and works at the local hospital as a nurse, eventually becoming the adoptive mother to a lost Michael Nielsen. While we don't know much about Inez, we have met her father. We know he encouraged Egon to find a younger, compliant woman as a side piece, and we also know he likes to digest porn. Perhaps Inez did just steal the magazine from her father, but her questions to her friends about if they have seen another man naked other than their father makes me wonder <laughs> if he has sexually abused his daughter or talked to her about sexual topics in an inappropriate way. Damn. Yeah, that's, um, I, I didn't get that vibe. I, I, I appreciated you writing that because that made me think that perhaps that is true. What I saw it was is that um, she and Daniel kind of have like a, like an, open locker room relationship. Like it's just him and his daughter there. Like there's no wife of Daniel Conwald, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The we so see. I, kind of, I kind of just get the, get the gist that he treats his daughter kind of like he would treat a buddy. And um, that's the, that's the gist that I got because Inez didn't really seem to have like the vibe of someone that's been traumatized by, you know, men or whatever. I just think her vibe would be different. But then you go into like how she never marries and mm. she like has this weird relationship with Mickle where she like mm-hmm. drugs him. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think you're on to something that I didn't pick up on. Um, I saw it differently. So, yeah, I think yeah. open I just, to interpretation. I like this. Yeah, I feel like Bo and, and Yantia are really... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like all their characters have dark secrets and are traumatized in some way. And yes, this is never overtly. It's not an overt conclusion anybody can can draw. Right. But I just feel like a lot of times people who are in. There's also just like the basic human psychology. But a lot of times if you fo- look at people in the caretaking industry, whether therapist, mm-hmm. nurse, social worker 
the reason that they're doing such a demanding and thankless job is because they sort of have this savior complex on some level. And the reason you have a savior complex is because you have your own like deep seated trauma in your life. And I just, I Hmm. can't imagine a character, any character really in Bo and Yancha's world that doesn't have some messed up thing that happened to them (laughs) as a kid. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'll defer to you. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's honestly, Steve, this is a theory that I heard from, have heard from other people express about Inez. And so then I thought, hmm. I think that's worth exploring and bringing up. So that's all I'm really doing. We, you know, obviously we can't say, well, she was sexually, sexually abused, but she is very, seems very non shy about sexual stuff. And again, a lot of times the people I'm just telling you basic human nature, the people I've met in my life that are this open about sex in, um, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. you, it turns out they they went through like got like sexually abused as kids, and you know the people that I met that were this uh, promiscuous or open. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, something happened to them when they were kids. So I think or it's a fair. They were just exposed yeah. to sex as a yeah. kid. Sure. Okay, Egan goes to work and finds Doris in his office. Every, women are just always showing up at Egon's office. Yeah. What a lucky dude. I mean, come on. <laughs> and look at the women coming through his office. I mean, he's... Woof, Egon, come on. <laughs> Even though his hair is weird. Okay. So, it is. But it's not Absolutely. as bad as... It's not as bad as Bartosh's hair. I will say. No, I um, think, I think um, Egon wins with the bad hair in this episode. <laughs> She questions his tardiness at work, and he makes a pitiful excuse. She shows him a handkerchief with the initials HT. She found it in one of Agnes's blouses. She wonders if Egon might use it to track Agnes down via her husband, who used to be a minister. The priest's name was Hanno Tauber. She shows him a newspaper clipping. Doris Tiedemann makes a pretty good detective. (laughs) <laughs> she does and you could tell that um egon was nervous that when she was like i went through the laundry and he was like oh shit what yeah. did she find <laughs> and then he's kind of relieved that she um that she found you know some some clue but then as you're getting ready to say he's not really that um attentive to her <laughs> mm-hmm. she also suggests that agnes wouldn't leave her son Trant behind egon tells her they are taking care of it but Doris isn't impressed. She suspects foul play because why else would Agnes leave all of this behind? Egon scoffs and makes fun of what goes on in the minds of women, triggering Doris to exit. <laughs> why isn't he impressed by this? I mean, this is great detective work right here. He's a detective, so he should recognize. But I guess he's just still like in this mode of like, I've been cheating on her. Mm-hmm. And he's on the defensive and acting like a like a total piece of shit here. He's really being a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it makes you wonder if he's, well, he did go downstairs that one time and find Doris and Agnes, like having a drink at the table, having a good old time without him. So you nothing. get, 
what? Okay. But you get the feeling. No, no, he, I know. Yeah, he did sort of know maybe something weird was going on between them. So maybe he's not really that interested in finding Dag- Agnes and is like, man, why is oh, my wife okay. so. I mean, there could be a little bit of jealousy. Um, okay. Or like, you know, why are you that disinterested in this woman? That you did went to found all this excellent detective work. Okay, that's what I was scoffing at because I was like, you all he did was like walk in on them having a good time. It's not like they were like making out or anything. But you're right. He probably is jealous of like that friendly relationship that they have and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was you know, he's away from work. He knew he knows they were sort of grew close. Probably he's I'm guessing. Like, well, I like to make up things, but maybe they haven't slept together in a while and he knows just something's off with her. Ever since that woman left, my wife hasn't mm-hmm. been the same. Um, so, I mean, if things were going like going really well with him and Doris, maybe he wouldn't have had, had an right. affair with Hannah. So Absolutely. Yeah. And vice versa. Maybe, um, you know, Agnes would have just shot. I mean, maybe Doris would have shot Agnes down quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But hey, I wanted to shout out the sketch artist at the uh, police station who's doing these sketches of <laughs> Noah and, um, and Agnes here. I mean, great, great handwork there. Yeah, but Doris is a little, and you know, she comes across a little desperate here and you have to feel a little bad for her. And then Egon just says the worst thing, like, yeah. Um, this whole like what goes on in the minds of women and then as soon as she walks out he's like doris (laughs) like he knows he really blew it (laughs) that was really weak (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i think but also there's there's also this thing about egon that we know happens later like people aren't impressed with him as a policeman you know, he doesn't have this great reputation. True. His career yep. kind of fails. So maybe he doesn't like this insinuation. Like, my wife must not think I'm doing a very good job because she put like two and two together. Now she's got more more of a case than I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not use that to like better his own career, though? Come on. Yeah. Solve the case. <sighs> Win-win for everybody. Doris gets her girlfriend back <laughs> and Egon gets like a great case in the paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we cut forward then to Sept- September 24th, 2053. Agnes watches the unstable God particle. Whenever I say unstable, I just mean it's like not the good God particle you'd want to walk into. Right. It's- <laughs> Needs uh, need some work. Yeah. It's the kooky one. Yeah. Yeah. Adam compliments her on choosing the right side. He hands her the newspaper clipping that ran when Claudia's body was found. It read, reads, unidentified woman's body found in woods. Adam instructs her to give it to Claudia. This is a little confusing to me because old Claudia gave this same newspaper clipping to her in mm-hmm. 1953. We saw that. Mm-hmm. Does that mean Agnes gave it to her and then later Claudia gives it back? We've yes. never seen Agnes giving the news clipping to Claudia. Right. I did a lot of research on this. And um, 
<laughs> I can't talk all about it now because it's very oh complicated. Okay. It involves the whole story of Agnes. But the short version is Adam gives this clipping to Agnes right now. Mm-hmm. She gives it to a younger version of Claudia. That younger version of Claudia gives it to a younger version of Agnes. That younger version of Agnes is the one who eventually gives it to the older Claudia. So there's a lot of back and forth going on here. Um, somebody on Reddit, you know, I love going there for answers. They they wrote out Agnes's entire timeline and what she was doing between 1910 and 2053. And it was solid. So mm. that's the short answer right there. Well, I'd like to read that because I do have... Yeah questions about Agnes I have there's question I'll send marks it in the chat yeah question marks about Agnes um, and maybe once I read it we can we can talk more fully about the legend of, of Agnes because <laughs> I also think yeah I also wonder like um, well it's, we see later yeah where's she going and there's yeah there's questions about her and when we saw her earlier, was she older or younger and all that, you know? So I think that's, I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Moving on. Adam tells her that life is a gift for those who know how to use it. She questions Adam if he will tell Martha, uh, Martha about the true origin and Adam doesn't respond. In the same time, Alt Martha wakes up gasping for air. Magnus sits nearby. He mentions that he used to wonder why she chose to ditch them in 1888. She simply dropped off a piece of dark matter and then disappeared. Now today, it's his older self, along with Adam and probably Francisca, that gives her that order. She apologizes for abandoning him. He tells her that Adam is ready to see her. This very stoic Magnus can't seem to hide that as a teen, he was hurt at his sister's actions, even if it's not his world's version of his sister. Yeah, I don't know what else I can add to that, that, um, that you didn't put there. Um, the only note that I had before I read your recap was, you know, he was this, that whole act confused him as a kid. And then as he became an adult, he became aware of her reasoning and that sounds like a cycle that, you know, is a cycle of, of growth, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Like we, we wonder why our parents are a certain way. And then when we get to their age, we realize why. <laughs> yeah. It's a great bit of acting for that older Magnus character, I thought. It oh, seems yeah. very brief, but he's just genuinely looks wounded. But also... He's like, Adam needs me to do this now. <laughs> he's totally programmed. <laughs> he's in the cult. Yeah, he's been at it for a long time. Yeah. So we warp to World 2, the post-apocalyptic... <laughs> I can't talk today. The post-apocalyptic... <laughs> Where's our blooper reel, Steve? Uh, the post-apocalyptic Eret Lux world, bright with light. Here's the location of the hatch. It's November 6, 2052. We cut to inside the bunker. The walls are covered with writing. Names of the town's characters appear with dates. Are these the dates of their death? It's 
Stranger Marta tells Marta 2 that this is her future. <laughs> Welcome to the future! <laughs> <laughs> Marta's shaking, not ready to believe such a horrible thing to be true. She asks about the door to the cave. Jonas stands by wordlessly, but he looks troubled to see Marta's distress. She notices that many names are crossed out, and Stranger Marta tells her those with crossed out names are dead, that all of them die in two days. If they don't stop the apocalypse, this is the future. Yeah, and we're looking at Alt, Alt Martha's origin here, too. <laughs> because mm -hmm. um, eventually, you know, she, she has gone from being like the scared girl that like, you know, what is happening. She's eventually going to become Alt Martha that we see later on, just with a little bit of time. And we're looking mm -hmm. at her origin here. That's the only yeah. note that I had for this scene. Yeah, this kind of reminded me of like a scene where um, where Adam or Eva would be standing there telling somebody something. Um, mm -hmm. This was another one of those scenes in my mind. Yeah. So we warp back to World One. Hannah sits in a doctor's office getting dressed after a checkup. She's wearing an outstanding form-fitting red plaid dress. She stands next to a very uncomfortable-looking examination chair, which I would not want to sit in. Nope. For any type of examination, but especially one at a gynecologist's office. Yep. The doctor informs her that she's pregnant. He encourages her to take things easy. Hannah sits down to steady herself. She finds this news impossible. The doctor lights up a refreshing cigarette. <laughs> He registers her shock and says, some gifts come into our lives unexpectedly, yet they're still gifts. And this is the second time that hmm. gifts are mentioned in the episode. Oh, yep. You're right. Because Adam um, told Agnes that life is a gift for those who know how to use it. Yep. And yeah, this doctor's angle is um is very pro-life. He's like, I see this is this is distressing to you, but... He's trying to like, you know, plant a seed in her head that like, you know, this is a, this is something you should, you know, consider a gift as opposed to like a, a hindrance, mm -hmm. I suppose. And yeah, nice cigarette to keep things nice and casual. <laughs> <laughs> but I was impressed. Like he was like a real doctor, like with a microscope, like looking at slides and making assessments on the spot. So I thought that was kind of neat. I was impressed by that. Yeah, I like again. This is a this is a cool scene too. I don't know why I like it, but her there's something about her dress that's really great, mm -hmm. and then her reaction to this news. Like she's initially so happy. She's like, "I like you here. Things are less complicated." <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and this is one uh, of these instances where I recognize that like Hannah, like the 1950s, just suits her, mm -hmm. or suits like her um her her frame and like her hair and her face and stuff yeah and he mentions um i forget the word but it's something about you know she's having this pregnancy later in life and that can be really dangerous right right so i appreciated that the doctor uh knew that back in the 50s you know we always are like uh, <laughs> i wouldn't want to be that but they by then people knew that yes if you're of a certain age it is Pregnancies can be harder. But. Yeah, it comes with a little more, a little bit more complications. I think. Yeah. 
so yeah and i thought it yeah i'll i'll talk more about the gifts thing at the end yeah so okay you got a gift for me okay yeah egon (laughs) sits at his desk examining the handkerchief doris gave him and their family photo in walks greta doppler looking prim she asks him for any news he tells her that without helge's testimony they are stuck she has no interest in Helge. She wants to know where the hot young priest has gone. <laughs> Hanno Tauber, the man, mm-hmm. Hanno Tauber. She has a cover story that their church needs their minister back or the devil sure. will take a hold. That's, it might happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then Egon seizes the opportunity to try and earn some grace back with Doris by asking Greta if she ever saw the minister with a woman. This earns Egon an icy blue stare. Everyone wants to find their boo today. <laughs> yeah, that was the wrong angle to go there. He <laughs> he didn't realize, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is the second like you know second woman of woman attractive woman to come into his office this afternoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a feeling there'll be a third. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was thinking about something, too. Um, I wrote this down here. This is just a little, you know, Steve Barnes randomness. Remember I was telling you when um, I'll send you the information I have about Agnes. Okay. But I think there's, like, enough there um, for us just to talk about Agnes. We could do, like, almost an Agnes show. But this is what I was thinking about for, like, way, you know, way in the future when we're like, oh, let's have an episode about Dark. We can do like a uh, a hotness ranking of all the characters. It'd be very subjective and all that, but you could rank all the male characters and I could rank all the female characters. And I think I think that would be a fun episode, personally. It would be um probably be heated, but who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, it was it was funny that <laughs> she's just like what? No, I'm talking about the priest, Hanno Tauber. And then he says, has she ever been with a woman? How dare you? <laughs> Never. <laughs> she didn't like that idea at all. Get your hands off my hot priest. <laughs> See, that's what made me start thinking about the hotness ranking is like when I wrote, when I saw you wrote down like hot young priest there. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been checking out Hannah this episode. So <laughs> that's what spurned this, this <laughs> thought. Across town, <laughs> Doris enters the sick Moonis church. Inside, she finds the unknown with his hands folded together. Now, I did notice the hand fold this time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Holding the sick Moonis diary. She asks if he has any knowledge of the missing Agnes or the missing priest. And I thought it was interesting. She says, "My hus- um, I know someone who was married to a priest. Is this where all the priests hang out? I mean, she doesn't say that, but she's like, you're a priest. He's a priest. Maybe y'all know each other. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big brotherhood. That's right. Um, She claims to be concerned about Trant, the son of Agnes, but the unknown sees through her disguise. He says, with every lie, the human soul dies just a little bit. The ways of the heart cannot be explained. It does what it wants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The three forms of the unknown converge upon her. They know she longs for Agnes. He encourages her her to open her eyes about Egon's behavior. Doris tries to stutter a denial, but it's no use. They don't harm her, but she 
may never want to step foot in church again. And this is where I say to you, Steve, that the unknown, Mm -hmm. we've seen him brutally kill several people, but they only seem to kill when necessary. He doesn't kill anybody this episode. In the case of Doris, I guess they needed her to leave town so that Egon could spiral into alcoholic depression and Claudia could grow up without a mother. The cycle must continue. Right. Um, I don't know. Like they like they was he was gonna kill her. <laughs> he reached in his pocket to grab his thing. Like he was getting ready yeah. to grab his little uh, little neck throaty thing. I mean, whatever you call that neck throaty, <laughs> his strangling object. Um, I mean, they succeeded in getting rid of her. Yeah. Like you like you said, she's never coming back. But I I think he would have killed her if she hadn't bailed. He would have pulled out that thing and done it. I mean, I'm not going to give him a pass. <laughs> but I think he was just wanted her to think there was something in his pocket. <laughs> I mean, there actually is something in his pocket. But, you know, she had, she like starts to back up and she runs into the other guy and they let her out. It's not like they're trying to kill her. I feel like they're just wanting her to get out. <laughs> wait did you see how the little one was looking at her though that little creep he needs a mother he just wanted a hug i mean no he had a look on his face i didn't trust him i think he's a little creep okay but what else about this scene do you have any notes steve i have a few things if you don't no i want to hear what you got to say this this thing he says here it's not a quote but it's a quote by the unknown with every lie the human soul dies just a little bit mm-hmm. i thought and the ways of the heart cannot be explained it does what it wants i was thinking this is his life this is he's seen it he's that is what he's seen is all of the lies you know he knows his mother keeps lying to his father you know he's I feel like he's speaking from experience here. And again, it goes back to that thing I said at the beginning. I feel like this is the transition. You know, the other episodes, the unknown was all about killing people. And he had the task that his mother mm-hmm. had given him. And it is, I mean, he still has tasks here. Obviously, he's supposed to make sure that Doris leaves town. But I feel like he's he's imparting his wisdom to people, you know, he's telling, this is his life. Lies. (laughs) He sees lies every day. Yeah. He's got the most like, I guess, sheltered life out of everybody really. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't get as much out of the scene and out of him. So yeah, I appreciate all that. And plus it just visually looks cool. Like the three of them like converging upon uh upon Doris. Another triangle. Another triangle. I suppose so. I still think the whole trope is unnecessary, but <laughs> um, you know, I'm suspending my disbelief. <laughs> All right. So now we are back at the lake. The camera pans over Wendon towards uh. the lake. Yana walks in the woods, but stops when she sees Trant sitting on a log. She has a shock of blonde hair running through one of her braids. Yeah, I noticed that. 
Yeah. That's yeah. the first time I've noticed that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think older Yana has like a silver streak in her hair on one side. She so. does, yeah. yeah. So it's just but, kind like, of they a were... cool, yeah. It's the origin of the white streak. The origin of the streak. <laughs> yes. He sits on the same exact spot where Jonas and Marta converged in 2019. She asks about the snake bracelet and compliments its beauty. He sticks the bracelet in his pocket. She wonders why he sits by himself on a log by the lake. <laughs> he shares that he enjoys solitude. He opens up a little and shares that he likes to write stories. Yana smiles and he compliments her. Trant doesn't like to talk much and Yana's quiet spirit seems to soothe him. We've seen him with the precocious Claudia. Yana doesn't press him for details. We know Trant is filled with secrets. Perhaps he needs someone who understands the need for space. Yeah, I like the I like this scene more so than the last scene <laughs> with the uh, with the unknown at the church. I like the solitude of this scene too. Um, I liked Trant in this scene. Um, mm -hmm. He became like a cooler character to me here, and I can see like how he's um, rubbed off on Ulrich. Some maybe where Ulrich maybe has gotten some of his mannerisms from. Hmm. Um, and he looks all cool and stylish here. Like he look, he reminded me of Bartosh. Season one Bartosh, the way he's dressed all slick and good looking here. <laughs> and he's foreshadowing um, that, you know, he's going to become a writer. Yeah. So this is like foreshadowing of that, the origin of <laughs> the young writer Tron, who eventually goes on to write for the paper. And Jana makes an impression. Um, yeah, we, we, we get with them later, but she definitely makes an impression on him here. Maybe it's her smile. Maybe it's just the fact that she just sits quietly and doesn't try to dominate the conversation or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she does make an impression. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we, you know, we met him with, he's been, you know, when we first meet him, he's hanging out with his mother. His mother mm -hmm. is at, you know, in her, in her like stylish persona that shows up at Wyndon She's very talkative and he's very quiet. Then right. he hangs out with Claudia, another really talkative, precocious person. Mm -hmm. And Yana's yep. just so completely different. You know, more deferential, more curious about him rather than, you know, Claudia was curious too, but at the same time, she's kind of curious for her own purposes. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, we, we know what the future holds here. Yeah. Um, we know that they're like, doesn't seem like they have like a completely loving relationship when they get older, obviously, but um, yeah. enough has happened that they, they do have children together. Yeah. And, you know, and it kind of tracks that she's, you know, doesn't press him for details he has secrets he doesn't yeah. tell her everything but she <laughs> yeah. still sticks by his side that's their that's their relationship so yep. yeah that's right okay so at the police station hannah interrupts egon's smoke break <laughs> he's unhappy that she's dropped by although everyone else does it <laughs> hannah tells him flatly that she's pregnant and I didn't put this in here, but she's wearing this red coat. Of course, it looks really good too. 
Yeah, that's right. Bright red. A lot of yeah. attention on her. Matches the lipstick. <laughs> he accuses her of not being careful and then makes the horrible mistake of asking if the child is his. I was watching this last night, Steve, and I thought, well, at least he didn't say, is it mine? And then that was the next thing he said. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> He's such a jerk face in this episode. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, and how... <laughs> How can he like accuse her of not being careful? Wasn't he being careful? Why is it on her? Mm -hmm. I mean, what a dick. <laughs> yeah. Typical, typical. The vessel gets blamed. Yep. Especially yeah. here. Yep. Hannah attacks back. She thought Egon was harmless, but he's just another entitled prick. <laughs> he then offers to drive her home. Did Hannah <laughs> expect a different outcome from the man who claims to love her? Hannah has never been more relatable. <laughs> See, this was dumb on his part. Like she shows up and he's all like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then like he immediately leaves with her. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that doesn't look good. Like to the rest of his coworkers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perception, Egon, come on. It's like, I'm uh, just taking a very long lunch, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> and I came in late too, by the way, but whatever. <laughs> He's truly like a work-from-home kind of guy, right? Yeah, <laughs> work-from-home <laughs> kind of guy. Okay, we cut to the Doppler mansion. We see copies of advertisements promising the wonders of atomic energy. The family in the ad looks amazingly like Burn, Greta, and Helge. <laughs> except they're yep. all super happy <laughs> in this ad. That's you the know. only difference. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Claudia stands awkwardly while she overhears an angry burned on the phone berating some poor bureaucrat about the denial <laughs> of his building permit. <laughs> Which comes into play later, but that's really fun that she has to sit there and listen to that. Yeah. Byrne finishes the phone call and comes out of his office finding Claudia. He's slightly embarrassed at his outburst. He compliments her beauty and brains, handing her some bills in compensation. Claudia waves him off, insisting that he's paying her too much, but Byrne gives her a life lesson. If you really want something, then take it. Things don't just happen by themselves. She takes the money. This moment may have been the catalyst for Byrne becoming Claudia's mentor and establishing her as his heir apparent. By catalyst, do you mean like the origin of their relationship? <laughs> <laughs> sure, Steve. I definitely agree with that then. <laughs> I mean, these two influence each other, even her as a young kid, because I think I got the impression that maybe Burnt um, has a little bit of self-actualization about himself. Like he sees himself through Claudia's eyes for a second. And he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be such a, <laughs> a yelly jerky guy i don't know that's um i mean children can definitely influence us as much as we influence them <laughs> nothing more <laughs> wasn't that enough <laughs> didn't that blow your mind <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean that's a, that's interesting maybe he he sees that um she yeah, maybe he sees, maybe I sounded a little like a jerk just now. Um, that's true. Oh, and her refusal of like the, the high money too. Mm -hmm. Like, of course he teaches her a lesson, but yeah. maybe she teaches him a lesson too. Like, oh, maybe it's not, maybe money isn't like the thing that 
you use to pay people off all the time. Maybe, you know, being kind or maybe just, I don't know, being honest. Yeah, but what do you think about this life lesson he gave her? Do you think that, do you think <laughs> these words impress Claudia? Mm-hmm. I do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we know that she, you know, comes becomes the the leader of that company, the president or a CEO, whatever you want to call it. And you can't mm-hmm. become that, um, you know, <laughs> by just being weak-kneed and, you know, being kind and honest. <laughs> you got to take what you can get and make things happen and mm-hmm. force yourself along the way. I mean, I think that, yeah, he definitely was our mentor. and Yeah, and then we have to remember that just at the same time, at this, mm-hmm. as this, as this encounter happens, her dad becomes the raging alcoholic, and her mother mm. leaves town. So Good I feel point. like this is a really turn, a big turning point in Claudia's life, and maybe shaped right. how seriously she took the words. You know, thinking. I guess the only other comparison I can think of in the show is that. Um, you know, how Mickle met Noah and Noah made a big impression mm-hmm. on him, but it was also in a time of great need for Mickle. And the, you know, Claudia doesn't know she's in the middle of a time for great need, but we know that probably at this, this is at this point, her life probably changed a lot. Makes a lot of sense. Burnt's a better father figure going mm-hmm. forward from this point on. <laughs> yeah. She, and she probably kept coming to their house to tutor Helge and mm-hmm. saw him quite often. So Yep. Yeah. So then we are in the town hall and the mayor exits the building and is helped into his car by the older unknown. The older unknown gets to do something. <laughs> Yay. You're not Higginsworth. What's going on here? <laughs> The guy's the driver was Heinz. Heinz didn't yeah. show up for work today. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm with this guy. Um, the other two also get into the car. The mayor tries to exit, but the youngest one pulls a gun on him. Hmm. The adult unknown accuses him of letting the coal industry bribe him into a into blocking plans for the power plant, and they force him to sign the permit. Right on, like for, <laughs> exposing his corruption and then corrupting him like yet again. It's like two layers of corruption <laughs> happening here. <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe this is the young guy's um, initiation into like, you know, more involvement in killing people because he has to grow up to be a killer and do it like, you know, emotionlessly. Yeah. So I, I honestly do think that like, you know, we're seeing him starting to get tasked with stuff like that. Yeah, it was his first, the first time we really saw him. Well, I think he did have a torch and he burned, you know, he helped with the burning at the beginning, but. All kids want to do that though. That's fun yeah. stuff. He got to, he got to hold <laughs> the gun this time. Yeah, the origin of the <clears throat> unknown. <laughs> so we warp to world two. Stranger Marta wants them to stop the apocalypse. They must stop the barrels at the power plant from being opened. Jonas gets irritated that she only talks about this world. He wants mm-hmm. to save his Marta. Eva told him this was possible. Stranger Marta tells him that she lied. He mm-hmm. can't save both worlds. He has to choose. 
She then encourages him to choose this world because world one didn't go so well. <laughs> that makes sense, but maybe she's lying. I mean, <laughs> anytime yeah. somebody says somebody else is lying, you have to wonder if perhaps they're lying. Well, plus, he, she, it's not just that someone else is lying. She's like, my other self <laughs> lied to you. <laughs> she is Eva. That's right. <laughs> that's That's the thing is like, with Jonas, I would have left this group a long time ago. <laughs> um, you know, like, because how could you believe anybody? True. Yeah, it's it's impossible to. You just have to go by instinct and mm-hmm. hope that time keeps things right. <laughs> yeah. Keep your faith in time. And in the in the case, though, like, it's not even instinct. I feel like they're... But for Jonas, it's like the whole what you want, the heart knows what it wants. So, you know, even Mm -hmm. though all reason is saying, just leave, they just say the magic words, Marta, and he goes along with it. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Marta runs out of the bunker. Before he follows her, stranger Marta tells him that in this world, he and Marta can be together. This is what he wanted. Boy, I would love to see Stranger Jonas and Stranger Marta together. Would they still <laughs> like each other? They'd have yes. to, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we discussed this last week too, I believe. Um, how that would be an awesome power yeah. couple and they would just look all cool. They'd be that kind of couple that you would see like at like a at the Pesh Mode show. You would see this old cool couple with gray hair. Yeah. I mean wouldn't that have been a cool show if Stranger Marta and Stranger Jonas just decided to ditch the whole plan and, you know, run off together? I would like, yeah. That, I'd like to see that sequel. Yes. Or that season 3.5, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like how they're doing like this Scott Pilgrim thing and it's like kind of following the movie, but it goes in its own direction. Yeah. Do the same thing here with the strangers. The show could be called um, Dark Strangers, perhaps. <laughs> Dark Friends. Oh, yes. All right. All tied in. <laughs> um, okay. Jonas chases after Marta. He catches up to her and seems to understand her distress. She wonders how this can all be possible. She feels like a crazy person. He understands her and shares that he knows how she feels. And he's not going to give up trying to find a way. He believes Alt-Marta is trying to do the same thing. The one who brought Mm -hmm. him here. Marta with the scars. He expresses faith in the person of Marta. Yep. I don't really have much to add here. I think that, um, I don't think there's much more than what you, at least in my mind, Mm -hmm. than what you uh, summarized there. Yeah. I, I guess, like, I mean, the only thing I could say is I feel like this is what Marta needed to continue is for Jonas to show this moment of compassion. Okay. All right. You know, he's been, let's, let's, let's like put things in perspective a little bit. For this Marta, what has happened so far is basically 
Jonas has stalked her <laughs> with uh to with her friends and her boyfriend, you know, followed her around and said like kept trying to get her attention. He then right. gets her to follow him into the cave and now she discovers this apocalypse apocalyptic world and then they're like hey this is your future if you don't stop the apocalypse it's a lot to put on somebody and then right right and then um but here Jonas for the first time maybe is just like treating her like a human being a little bit and maybe that's what she needed to continue because okay so far he's just been manipulating her into doing what he wants and I feel like he kind of he kind of finally sees like, oh, she's she's upset and he understands he kind of recognizes himself in her. And I think that's I just think that's interesting that his demeanor changes a little bit how he's been treating her. Maybe thanks to this um stranger Marta, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she helped a little bit with that. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. What do you think? Was she helpful? I don't. Yeah, I, was I don't just think wondering. the other Marta. I think she's a little cold. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like Stranger Jonas. She just, she just like a little cold in her <laughs> delivery. She has to play a purpose of some yeah. sort, though. But I guess not here yet. Oh yeah. <laughs> they all have a purpose. <laughs> so we warp to World One. Alt Marta. Oh, here she is. The Marta he was just talking about. Alt Marta looks <laughs> on as Agnes and the girl from the future embrace. Older Francisca, older Magnus, and Adam also watch. Adam says that it's time. Agnes steps into the room with the god particle wearing one of the yellow suits. Right. Do you remember where she goes from this point? But right after this point, is when she goes to the twenties and then stab Noah because she's dressed the exact same way when she stabs Noah in the twenties. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, real quick scene. We don't know um, the girl's name or her mm. identity yet, but we just recognize mm. her as the welcome to the future greeter. Yeah. So back in 1954, Trant and Yana walk home in the woods. He asks, she asks about his mother and the man he met in the woods. Is that his father? He mentions that he was in a home once. She asks what it was like, and he pulls up his sleeves, showing her the scars on his arm. He shares a secret with her. I don't want to know if that man is my dad, and I'm glad that my mother's gone. He offers her the Ouroboros bracelet. We can view this as an affectionate gift, but he did just say he doesn't care about his mother anymore. <laughs> That's true. Here's a piece of garbage that I don't want anymore. But, you know, he's moving forward. Tron's moving forward, not looking back. I can kind of, I can kind of relate to that in, and in many ways. But another one of the Tron-Yana interactions. Yeah. But, yeah, they're interrupted, right? Yeah, and we do see her <clears throat> earlier in the show, earlier episodes, we do see her wearing this bracelet. So we know, or maybe actually, maybe it's to come. Anyway, we see her wearing this bracelet during the show. So we knew she could. You mean adult, it. adult Jana? Adult Yana, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. 
They are intercepted by Claudia, who takes one look at their body language and decides to claim Trant as her property. She stands next <laughs> to him and grabs his hand, staking her claim. Trant doesn't resist. That's true, but in in my perception, Yana won. Yana won there because he's looking back at Yana when he walks away. He like makes a suggestion like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, even though Claudia grabs his hand and takes him away kind of aggressively, I do think that um, Yana wins there. She's at, She has the upper hand. Yeah, I mean, he's a man whose heart is divided <laughs> between these two women. Yeah, it's it's interesting that he allows this. I don't know. I feel like so many guys are so, you know, they don't like being told what to do. That's a big thing. So it's just, it's a little mm-hmm. weird, like how Claudia has this amount of power over Trant. And it's just like, grabs his hand and pulls him along. You know, I mean, I guess that's just the dynamic that's been formed in their household. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. So we cut to Egon and Hannah in her room. He wonders what they should do. She tells him she doesn't want to keep the baby. She says, why do some people have everything and others nothing? She puts her hand on his face like he did to her, like Ulrich did to her. She wants to know what it feels like to let someone go. She's tired of trying to hold on to a man. She doesn't need anyone. She repeats the words her son once said to her. She holds them as a token and a point of pride. I remember she said the same thing to Burnt um, in season one. Like, why do some people have everything and other people have nothing? That's the same thing Hannah said to Burnt when she, like, um, presented him with the bag. Alexander. When she started to blackmail him. Oh, I'm sorry. Alexander. That's right. Alexander, yeah. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. She does. I was wondering where I I was wondering where I'd heard this line before. But yeah. Well it wasn't burnt. It was Alexander. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what did you think about her like touching his face? I didn't get it. There's a lot of face touching in in, like this show (laughs) in general. Yeah. And it sometimes doesn't seem like it's it it never seems like it's the right time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean, I I think, I think that's another thing that I might change about the show. If I had like the power to do so, like no face touching y'all. That's, it's weird. Maybe once is okay, but yeah, don't make a habit of it. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing I I could think of is, yeah, that's what Ulrich did to her. And you know, when he said, you're beautiful, he kind of touches her on the mm-hmm. face and tucks her hair behind her ears. And she kind of mm-hmm. does that to him. She's like, I'm going to do the same thing Ulrich did to me. You know, I'm going to be the one that's okay. the boss bitch now. And I'm just oh. like, yeah. Yeah, I totally buy that then. Yes. <laughs> um, so he gives her the contact information of someone who can help her get rid of the baby quietly. The name on the paper reads Mrs. Obendorf. And the person who gave him the name was Daniel. Daniel yes. Conwald. <laughs> the working class at it again. Like they're 
they're like hidden out there in Germany, but like the, these underclass folk that don't get a lot of credit are doing a lot of heavy lifting in the background, yeah. especially the Obendorfs with those barrels and mm -hmm. supplying the town and drugs and world one. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a nice callback to the Obendorfs. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we kind of see it, their presence is here. And yeah, this is, the Obendorfs are the one kind of family that they use in the show that we know are of a different class. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's kind of good to do that, even though it'd be it'd be interesting to have to have more of that. You know, I mean, I guess I guess we have like the Tiedemanns. Well, it was the Dopplers, then the Tiedemanns, who were like the rich, the rich people in town um, that. Somehow that gets switched from Doppler to Tiedemann, I guess through Claudia. <laughs> um, yeah. So. But the Obendorf's got the gray market and the black market at mm -hmm. hand. Mm -hmm. They got the drugs. They did the transporting, the illegal transporting under the table. Yeah. Um, you know, here that she's doing some, Obendorf is doing some like, you know, back alley um, medical procedures that aren't legal. Uh, have you seen the show Ozark? By any no. chance, I think I asked you this before. There's a family in the Ozarks. Um, I, I can't remember their last names, but they uh, it was the same thing with this family. Like they, anything illegal, like drug dealing or guns, or if you needed a ride somewhere, like illegal or illicit, this is the family to go to. And the Obendorfs are it and Wyndon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. McCullum's. That's no, it wasn't McCullum's. I, I really want to like their name, the Ozark name is the tip of my tongue. It's really important that I get that name out, Lindsay. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you heard me say this part, but the person who gave him that name is Daniel Conwald. Right. So and that's, you know, it makes me wonder too, especially the person we meet. It's like that goes back, could go back to Inez. Like Daniel knows how to get rid of babies, you know, if we need to, to right. get rid of them quietly. Because he talks about like you know having girlfriends and stuff, and this mm -hmm. is yeah obviously something that he's done before. Yeah. So back on World Two, Jonas and Raincart Raincoat Marta walk toward the caves. <laughs> she looks behind her before entering. Back in the bunker, Stranger Marta draws a line between Marta and Jonas on the family tree. Underneath is an infinity symbol. In walks Noah too. He asks if she sent them off. He says, the beginning is the end, and the end is the beginning. We are all born of him. You gave him life, and he will give us ours. Him, Agnes, Trant, Yana, Ulrich, Katerina, you. A line without a beginning or an end. So in World 2, Noah works for Eva just as he does for Adam in World 1. Do you think he like makes kids disappear and all that kind of stuff too? Um, I had a we thought about. I had a thought about that. Yeah, I was wondering. So in World One, Noah works for Adam, and we know it's a a power has. There's a power dynamic in their relationship where Adam is concealing information from right. him so you from have Noah. to wonder if eva's doing the same thing oh. in this world 
She's got everything pretty clearly written on the walls there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we and we do have like that they do show the link between like um Jonas and Marta, right? Is this where they show like there's a link between them that is the infinity sign? Yes, that's, that, that was the beginning of this scene. She draws right. a line between them and then a line down to the infinity symbol. Right. And I think that's um because when I first saw Noah here, I was like, what is he doing here? Before I realized, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, he's like an alternate Noah. So that's okay, that's cool. Yeah. So this scene that shows that, you know, Jonas and Marta are connected and they have like the infinity symbol between them. They are the only two who have actually gone enter worlds. Nobody else has stepped into like a world one or world two situation with the exception of Marta and Jonas. Mm, Claudia. Has Claudia slipped over into. Is that true? Like enter worlds. I guess that's coming up. It might be coming up, <laughs> but so far that's, that's, that's all we've seen. Um, and the unknown, the unknown too. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's the other point that I wanted to make is like, those are the only three that we've seen so far. Oh, that little like mother, father, son, those three are like, mm, little family unit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Little baby unknown, <laughs> little baby unknown with a little cliff lip. <laughs> so cute. Not cute, not cute at all. <laughs> I he probably he had that mean baby. look in the grate. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't a cute kid, so he couldn't have been a cute baby. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird like the the order he mentions these names to is interesting though. He says, um, yeah, him. Uh, you gave him life and he will give us ours. So the unknown, and then they say Agnes, but he and Agnes um, give birth to Trant. Like, so it's not like we're going down. It's like across and down. He says him and Agnes, Trant, because like Trant is their child. Mm-hmm. Then he says Yana. So Trant and Yana make Ulrich. And mm-hmm. then Ulrich and Katarina make you, meaning Marta. Mm-hmm. So... It's just kind okay. of a, I just think it's interesting that he's like, it's not like he's going, you know, father to son. He's like going over and down, over and down, over and down. So I didn't even make um, that connection at all. I just thought he was just naming everybody that's part of the, uh, part of the loop. But yeah, yeah they are in nice little order. <laughs> okay. So then we warp back to world one. Egon comes home with flowers. Doris is on the stairwell, waiting for him. He sits down next to her, although there's not much room. He apologizes <laughs> for his behavior. Because I liked how he kind of, like, he had to, like, really shrink up and sit, squeeze <laughs> between her and the stairwell. Yep. He apologizes for his behavior that morning. Now that he's done with Hannah, he's desperate to make amends. But she tells him she knows about his affair and wants a divorce. There's just too many secrets. She repeats the words of the unknown. The ways of the heart cannot be explained. It does what it wants. Despite the threatening behavior of the unknown, Doris has been freed by his words. He's become her patron saint in a way. 
like a yeah, like an impetus, like an origin of <laughs> of her wanting to leave the dude here, Egon. Yeah. Good timing too, because he's he's just been a real jerk to uh to Hannah, so he kind of deserves it. Um, <laughs> he's got his flowers all upside down, like almost the entire scene, and I thought that was pretty telling that they um, almost the whole time he's holding these flowers by the thorn. With like the you know beautiful flower part like facing the ground, um, mm. you know symbolic. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, this. Um, I mean, now these two aren't a mirror for like Ulrich and Katarina exactly, but they are in the same house where this is the same house where Ulrich. Mm-hmm has to tell, well, Katarina is the one that finally says, I know you're having an affair. <laughs> right. And both, so same house and also same um, woman. Both of them were sleeping with Hannah. <laughs> oh my God, Hannah, what are you doing? <laughs> so, Yep. The show, the show, I'm telling you. It's so awesome. (laughs) Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. Yeah, what are you doing? Okay. So, Hannah rings the bell. Speaking of Hannah, she rings the bell Mm -hmm. at the door labeled Obendorf. The door is answered by a very shy teenage girl who lets her in. Both of them sit in chairs outside the door. This is the waiting room. She tells Hannah that her mother told her that the aborted babies go to hell. Hannah refutes this theory since she doesn't believe in hell. The girl introduces herself as Helene, meaning Helene Albers, future mother of Katerina. And let's remember that Hannah is going by the name Katerina. So. Right. This is, this is just a wild origin scene all around. Yep. Yeah. Lots of origins here. The name startles Hannah and they shake hands. Hannah introduces herself as Katerina. Helene loves that name. Of course. Helene recognizes the St. Christopher pendant. It's comforting to think of someone carrying them on their journey. The door opens and Mrs. Obendorf calls Helene in. Is this the mother of Jürgen? It's a relation, but at first I was thinking, oh, this is... um, I don't remember what I was thinking, but I was like, okay, this must be um, his mom. Sure. I mean, yeah. always the open, open doors behind the scenes. And it, you really definitely get the feeling here. You were talking about Inez and we're wondering like if Daniel Conwald might've, you know, um, might've sexually abused her. It's obvious that Helene here, she's not a, I, don't, I, I get the yeah. vibe that she's not a sexually promiscuous person. And I also get that, like, she's not there by choice. She's not having sex by choice. And she's also not here really by choice, but I think she's been here before. So, um, I mean, I think it just helps us see, like, why Katarina's mom is such a horrible person. Um, it, you know, it doesn't kind of, doesn't give her a pass to smack her kid upside the head and be awful like she was. But, I mean, it does kind of give you some sympathy and I don't know. This was a really neat scene just all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, um, we do get some insight into the dreadful Helene. 
Um, <laughs> and yes, you do get the idea that she's been here before because she seems to really know her way around. I mean, she answers mm -hmm. the door and she mm -hmm. says, this is where you sit. So, you know, I think at first your initial, when you, when this girl answers the door, you're like, oh, she must be either Mrs. Obendorf's daughter mm -hmm. or she's an assistant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That's what like I thought. That, that's what I thought at first. Yeah. Yeah. But no, this is, she's a client and she's here having an abortion. So, um, and she talks about her mother. Her mother's uh, obviously a very strict religious person because she's talking to her about hell. Mm -hmm. And and her mother knows about what's going on. She knows that yeah. her daughter's here getting these abortions. And she probably knows that <laughs> why her daughter is there getting abortions. Um, just seems like a whole cycle of just abuse and hate going mm -hmm. on back there. Yeah. Then Hannah looks thoughtfully. So Helene's gone in. Hannah is sitting outside and she looks mm -hmm. at the chair where Helene was sitting. She places the St. Christopher pendant on the woman's coat, deciding not to go through with an abortion after all. This interaction must touch Helene deeply because she ends up naming a daughter after the woman we know as Hannah. And the Hannah Helene meets that day is the best version of Hannah. <laughs> Beautiful, fashionable, kind, and serene. And basically, she she appears like an angel to this person. Like mm -hmm. Helena's perception of Hannah is that she's an angel that gave her this necklace and said these kind words to her. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it's just really neat. And then she names her daughter after this angel. Yeah. Gives her hope that maybe there's no hell and... Mm -hmm. she's also just you know she looks beautiful and and helene's just like wow that that woman and and she comes out and the woman's gone so yeah she probably right. did think <laughs> she was an angel maybe she's mrs saint christopher <laughs> christopher s herself mm -hmm. she probably did have some kind of yeah. deep-seated you know um fantasy about it yeah yeah Especially, you get the feeling her life was probably pretty crappy. Um, yeah, definitely. So, let's see if I have anything else to say about this. Yeah, it was just so, it was when they, she kind of says, my name's Helene, Helene Albers, and Katerina just, sorry, Hannah just gently takes her <laughs> hand. And we've already talked about how Hannah has this weakness for um, for strays, and mm -hmm. when she meets strangers, she tends to be very kind. So yeah, correct. It's a it's a crazy scene altogether. The best of Hannah. That's right. Yeah, and she doesn't. Um, you know, this is where she keeps the baby. So it changed it changed Hannah's life to an extent too. You know, so right. why, do you, why do you think she changed her mind? I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if this interaction had something to do with it, but mm -hmm. it, I didn't think so much about why she changed her mind as to, I was wildly thinking who, who is her baby? <laughs> who is her baby? I was like doing all this math. 
like not that it matters because we're talking about a time travel show but i was trying to figure out who was born in 1954 that she could have given birth to here and um i came up short and i know now because of spoilers for the future um but as of right now, it's 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 really confusing because you're wondering like, wow, so so she does have the baby. What happens to that baby? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's neat. But as yeah. to why she did, I don't really see any clues or there's I didn't see like any kind of like aha moment in this interaction that would have done that. Did you? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I have a possible thread of something. I don't know if it's anything okay. or not. But earlier, the doctor says that things are gifts, right? He gives her this thing oh. about, um, you know, sometimes things show up unexpectedly as gifts, but they're gifts nonetheless. And then when she meets this little girl, she says that she talks about it's comforting to think of someone carrying them on their journey. Um, Helene says that, and then mm. so I don't, I don't know if Hannah, if if Hannah takes that to heart somehow, or thinks, you know, maybe that that there that this is a gift somehow, and that this girl is in some way her saint too, like. Here or maybe she her. has to have a maybe she has a journey now that she has to go on. I mean, she knows she hears the name Albers too. And Right. You know, I don't know if she's that if she's that smart to realize like, oh, you know, she might realize this is um Katarina's mother. I'm you sure know, she does because Katarina like, Albers. It, like the show makes sure that we know, so I guess Hannah is supposed to know too. Yeah, like does she somehow say like I don't know, does she know Katerina was abused and thinks maybe I could help mm. this girl and that will make a difference in someone's life. This is a this is a Hannah that's just freed herself or has seen herself <laughs> as being freed from the bondage of trying to please men. So maybe she just wants a different, I don't know. I'm going to turn over a new leaf and <laughs> yeah, do what, um, do what Egon doesn't expect me to do. I don't know. But interesting. Why would question. you do anything to spite Egon? He seems like such a nothing. <laughs> he doesn't deserve that kind of spite. Not, well, it's not despite Egon really. It's like the whole male race. Okay, that like, makes more sense. Yeah, maybe she meets Helene, gets pissed off thinking that somebody could do this to this young girl. Um, the, 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 this girl is having to go through that, this, and she doesn't like that for her, for her gender. You know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe she's just, like, mad at men in general and thinking, man, these men are creeps. Like, here's this teenage girl. And just on principle, I'm not going to go through with this procedure. I'm going to have the baby. I'm going to try to be a good mother and raise my daughter to be strong. Yeah. Right. I don't know. 
Okay. I like that theory. I like to think Hannah is trying to do better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Egon. Egon sits at the table getting drunk. Claudia and Tron. <laughs> Claudia and Tron come home and find him there. Something about his behavior alerts Tron that he needs to usher Claudia and himself as far away mm -hmm. from Egon as possible. He's probably seen this before. And they go upstairs. Yeah, I got the feeling that he's seen this before, too. And here is the origin of the new Egon. <laughs> the new, the Egon. new drunk, sad Egon who doesn't do anything. Mm. <laughs> this is the start of him. Yeah. All right. So then we'll move on <laughs> from this depressing scene. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess I was just thinking about our... Our both of us have, well, especially me, have sort of a weird relationship with Egon in general in this show. Like, <laughs> he seems like a goof. He's like a dork. He doesn't like teens. He doesn't like he doesn't like teens that he views as satanic. And um, you know, but he try at one point he tried. He was a good cop. Yeah, at one point, yeah, he tries periodically. <laughs> Yeah, and he goes off the deep end, but, you know, later in life, he he does almost put it together. <laughs> All right, so Vern Dobler opens his front door to find the building permit sign for the power plant. Totally legal, <laughs> totally above board, <laughs> no problem here, totally normal. <laughs> This is how the world works, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> they just show up in the middle of the night, a permit signed all pretty for you. <laughs> I mean, on some level, that's it's probably very true. Someone shows I, up, makes a threat, and all of a sudden your your uh your amendment has passed or whatever I know what you happens. were looking. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> These dollar generals are coming from somewhere. They don't just appear out of nowhere. Yeah. In twenty dollar general. <laughs> yeah, that's like a big problem in rural America, especially rural Virginia. Like dollar generals pop up and they take out all the other like small mom and pop stores because everything you need you can get at a dollar general. And they just pop up everywhere and they just wipe out every other economy in the area. It's sad. It's um, you should look into it. We could do a whole <laughs> podcast about it. The influx is... of Dollar Generals and how it's ruined in rural America. Oh, this is reminding me of how like Daniel hates Wawa being in Florida. <laughs> like <laughs> this big old problem with dogs. Like I didn't realize you had so much animosity towards Dollar General. This I will have to new you podcast. <laughs> you, me, and Nate, Dollar General. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Okay, in 2053, Adam looks at a picture of the unknown and places it inside his copy of the Sick Mundus Journal. This is a little, a little nice, you know, because he's got the Sick Mundus photo in there, and now he's got like mm -hmm. a picture of the unknown. I mean, it's like the yearbook, the dark yeah. yearbook is what this is here. Or <laughs> see, scrapbooking. It's kind of cute. In walks Alt Marta. She wants what he promised her. She's wearing the St. Christopher pendant. He knows she wants to know where the origin is and how to destroy it. 
she will know eventually. It took him 66 years to realize how it's all connected. It's time for her to know, too. Okay, I don't have any notes for that either. Me neither. Move <laughs> on. This is a stupid <laughs> scene. It's just there to yep. take up space. We warp to World 2. At the Conwald house, Marta 2 shows Jonas her bedroom. She tells him that when he walked in the door at school, she felt she knew him. Well, you didn't act like it, Marta. You were pretty rude. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he apologizes to her for messing up her life. She asks what she was like in his world. She hmm. wonders if she was different. Jonas reaches to touch her face. They both get woozy. <laughs> what? Are you okay, Steve? <laughs> Choking over there <laughs> from your tears? Uh, he reaches out to touch her face. It's his face touching oh, again. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's what I was choking on. <laughs> oh. They both get weepy and they kiss deeply and melt into one another. Yeah, worlds colliding here. Like the mm -hmm. the wrong world and the other wrong world. And they're... Mm -hmm. it's, it's neat. Um I don't know. This is a very like emo love scene happening here because like they're crying and they're like making out and they're they're made for each other. Mm -hmm. They get wrapped up in the moment. He never answers her question, though. She and she asks a fantastic question. What was I like in your world? Mm -hmm. And all he does is touch her face. He doesn't answer. He doesn't say like, oh, you were cool. You were inquisitive. You were an actress, <laughs> you know. He just touches her face. Yeah. The end. I don't think she was really interested. <laughs> she was in oh, but, she was in him. They just they were like wanting to get down. They were wanting <laughs> to do this. They wanted to have this moment together, you know? And like I always um it seems like I have like a common thread and common theme, like in my dreams. And I kinda like always think like watching this show and people have like these separate worlds and these separate realities. I'm like, are the dreams that they're having like glimpses into like the alternate realities? And in this show, the answer is yes. So I wonder like, and if my dreams, if I'm taking a glimpse, what I'm seeing in my dream, I'm like, technically I'm seeing my own thoughts and like, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> reflected back to me, but it's just yeah. neat to think that like when I have dreams about like, dolphins walking around on dry land it's like that's an alternate reality that actually exists somewhere so the adult unknown looks down at the journal he opens the book and he's in the air at lux layer mm -hmm. um the desk and the other two unknown are just standing there watching him write <laughs> um, he opens the book and begins to write i am left to die alone and i am my sole judge the beginning is the end, and the end is the beginning. He closes the book. It's done. Is it? Is it done? <laughs> well, not the episode, but I think that's the end of the Sick Moonist journal. Right. Yep. Yeah, and it's getting ready to start getting getting handed around to to Noah to, to take peeks at later. Yeah. But I think this quote is. Um, I love to die alone and I am my sole judge. That's one of the lines Marta says in mm -hmm. the play there he had any in season, season one. Um, mm -hmm. I believe it's the one where she's wearing the white robe and has the red 
string around her waist. But it's a very lonely, like you mentioned the emo love scene. Yeah, it is kind of emo, but it's like, here's the, here's Jonas and Marta making love. And then here's the unknown writing these very desolate Mm. words in this journal. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even make that little tie-in. That's a good tie-in. Yeah. So another little tie-in, Steve, is that the montage song for this time is the Labyrinth Song by Asif Avedon. Mm -hmm. And this musician did also the... Another song, another um, montage song in the show, and it was the other episode where Jonas and Marta have sex in the white dress. Oh, see, that that's 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 my favorite one. Season two, olive, episode six. Yeah, twisted olive branch. So I think it's Neat. interesting that they have the same person accompany. The Jonas and Marta sex scenes are all accompanied by Asif (laughs) Avedon. I I thought that this song, like listening to the lyrics, I was like, oh, this song was written for Dark. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. This song was written in like 2014. Oh, you looked that up? Yeah. So this, you know, just so happens that (laughs) this song fits in not just thematically and lyrically, but also like the mood fits really well with this show um and it yeah it obviously wasn't planned because this show i mean this song predates the show by three years um another interesting thing about the song too is like i was thinking uh, that vocal pattern that he does do 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 i was like thinking that vocal pattern was like familiar and it was kind of racking my brain trying to figure out what it was and then when I researched the song, the answer was provided for me because this guy is really influenced by Jim Cro- Croce, Crokey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the Jim Crokey song, The Stranger, has the exact same like vocal pattern. It does the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an Asif um, Avedon, you know, credits Jim Crokey in the song, too, for like. You know, he, it's kind of like an honorific thing. Like, I'm going to use his vocal pattern in honor of him, not ripping it off, but, you know, because I dig him. And he, you know, gave him credit for it, too. Mm. Yeah. And the song is pretty depressing. Um, the, the lyrics <laughs> of the chorus say, Oh, Ariadne, I'm coming. I just need to work this maze inside my heart. I was blind. I thought you'd bind me, but you offered me a chart. Oh, Ariadne, I just need to work this maze inside my heart. If I'd known that you could guide me, I'd have listened from the start. Mm-hmm. And I think about this Jonas and this Marta and how they're mm-hmm. trying to work things out. And there's like the the maze inside the heart and they kind of this is a moment where they're reaching out to each other um but yet they're not um this Jonas and this Marta aren't in love like logically they <laughs> haven't given each other their hearts they're both 
I mean, especially Jonas, mm. he's still so connected to his Marta. Um, but in a way, this Marta, the one that's in front of him, is kind of his guide right now. Like he's she's the guiding mm -hmm. light, right? That's keeping him grounded, but his heart's not fully in it. So this is a very sad song. There's like a lot of longing in this song, I guess is what I'll say. Oh yeah. And then like the whole Ariadne thing too, the theme, like just what you were saying, it was making me think about more lines from the play itself. Mm -hmm. um, I remember they were saying like the, um, that we're, we're cut by the sharpest blade. So it's like their worlds were cut in half, mm -hmm. but we're still connected by a tiny thread. So yeah. they still have that little connection through their dreams and they're still like drawn to each other. Right. Something's left behind that couldn't be severed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Us, baby. So, of course, we have a series of images. Hannah walks out of her 1950s room with the time machine suitcase. Mm -hmm. Marta and Jonas undress and begin to make love. Egon drinks alone, flowers on the table. Doris holds the yellow dress and inhales deeply. Trant sits on his bed and looks at his scars. Claudia comes in and closes the door behind her. She removes her nightgown, taking what she wants. Yana looks at the ceiling, holding the bracelet. Yeah, Claudia's really trying hard here to stake her claim mm -hmm. in Trant because she knows that Yana is like a threat now. I think that's yeah. like why she's doing this because she's afraid that Yana is going to take Trant away. Yeah, but they do. But Yana has that token of him, though. Like, while yeah. that's happening, it's like, okay, yeah. well, she's taking off his clothes. It's Yana that's sitting there with the gift. So we know True. that she's kind of the winner. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, why she's doing it now, we don't really know that this hasn't happened already because we know, like, Trot pulled his pants down in the woods, so... Has there been maybe, unless that's only been the, the Tront show? <laughs> I, I think that that's the gist that I got is like they made some kind of, they had a conversation ahead of time. Like, hey, when we're walking in the woods, um, you know, show me your penis. Mm -hmm. And they're walking in the woods. He shows the penis. Okay, done deal. I think that was it. <laughs> I think that that this is the next step personally. Okay. But I could be wrong. They don't give us anything. But I, I, I kind of get the impression that this is the first time this happens because of the Yana interference and yeah. Claudia's playing double interference. I think out of all these images here, the thing that's probably the most interesting is like, where's Hannah going now? Yeah. Yes. Pregnant and with that time machine. That is absolutely the most intriguing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was going to tell you that you were wrong, though. Doris is holding up the yellow raincoat, and she's smelling the, <laughs> the yellow raincoat. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we warp back to World One. Adam walks into his bedroom in the Conwald house, the same room that we saw Jonas and Marta in. Alt-Marta mm -hmm. is with him. He tells her, but of course, this is the post-apocalyptic Wyndon. Yes. He tells her that this is where it all began in her world. He shows her the journal, 
her older self sent them back for one purpose, not to stop the apocalypse, but to create the origin. He grabs her hand and places it on her stomach. This is the origin. Her son is the origin. Right. So, yeah, apparently that's the whole reason. Like this whole thing about was it the black ball of goo? Was that the reason that Martha went back and all this other kind of stuff? Like this is the real reason. So they can they can meet and get together. Mm-hmm. The two different worlds, that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a little creepy that it's a little creepy that they're they're back in this. It's like here's Alt Marta and Adam. So it's kind of it's just kind of weird and haunting that we have Adam, who is a version of Jonas, and Alt Marta in this room. And right. yeah. And then um we know that the the alt marta she was she was the one in 1888 mm-hmm. um was supposed to drop off the ball of goo mm-hmm. um and the reason she did that is because she was promised we'll show you where to find the origin right then when she does her job and comes back then they're like well here's the origin it's your baby and right yeah not not the uh, news she was expecting. Um, is this, I, I guess, she's just finding out she's pregnant. Yeah, I guess that does make it a little more clear. I, I didn't really feel the need to like really clarify because I thought it was pretty clear. Um, you know, what was happening in the scene um, and the way you explained it and how we've been talking about it. But yeah, to, to make it a little more cut and dry, that was a good way. I finally had to sit for me. One of my big question marks of the whole show is trying to untangle Marta's timeline. And we're going to, we're going to get a lot of stuff about Marta later in season three that help us clarify. But even when they clarify it, which you have to kind of understand it and comprehend Mm. it too. So I sat down yesterday and I was like, creating a history oh. of like okay when we see the martas what order are things happening for marta and that helped okay. to kind of clarify it but yeah like because it can be a little confusing just we have these different oh, you sure. know, martas like yeah there's all kinds of different stuff that'd be confusing yeah. for me though i didn't i i kind of i kind of um kept track of the marthas pretty easily just just for me um, I'm wondering if I'll be able to um, to clarify that well when we get to these mm-hmm. points to explain yeah. it to you. But to me, it seemed pretty clear because there was like these key things that were really insignificant that would happen that would help with the timeline. Cutting her hair, getting the scratch on her face, getting the cut on her face. Um, I don't know. It, it, I thought those stuff things at this really point helped haven't even clarify happened. it. You know, right. That's yeah. right. Okay, so we warp back to world two. The family tree is emblazoned in marble on the floor. So where it was um, on chalk (laughs) on the walls in the apocalypse, in this world, it's a big, you know, it is in stone and cut on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. The unknown steps forward, gazing at the Adam and Eve painting. 
the end. Oh, that's where it ends. <laughs> okay. I was so like, that, what the, am the I big doing? <laughs> really, the big ending is like what you what you discussed before already for us. So this was just a a linking to show to show us um, some more, you know, proof or clarification as to who the unknown is and how he mm -hmm. came to be. Yeah, and then they say. Her son is the, or, you know, this is the origin. Your son is the origin. And then mm -hmm. they immediately cut to the unknown. To like, if you haven't figured out what they mean by now, da, ta-da, you know, so they they put a pin on it there at the end, so. Um, right. That's something that me and Lindsay were talking about um, before we started recording is like, I was wondering if that was clear enough that um, that the unknown here is Adam and Martha's child and we decided that yes i mean they were pointing us in that this direction um you know lindsay came to that conclusion at this time i did as well so i think the 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 watcher of the show and the listener of this should make that same conclusion too so with that in mind now it's time to start thinking back to the times you've seen the unknown knowing that he's martha and Jonas's link between the two worlds that's when the unknown's existence is a little bit more interesting to me, knowing now what we know. Because mm -hmm. yeah. before it's like, where did he come from? Who is he? It's like, yeah. oh, he's the creation of two alternate worlds and he's the missing link of the two. Yeah. And now we kind of might understand better why Adam might have a picture of him in his book. <laughs> It's like it's my little like boy. A picture, yeah, a picture of his son that he keeps with him, even though for him, even though for him, this is a despicable a thing that he doesn't that he wants destroyed. You know, he's like, that's my boy. <laughs> that's cute. But um, but yeah, what else? So when you say connecting that to what the unknown has done, like what kinds of things do you mean? Um, well, he stepped in and started burning down Adam's world. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So he's, you know, Eva is giving him instructions of things to do. So yeah. Eva's like his mom. Right. <laughs> so um, it doesn't seem like they have like a, a familial relationship, but I suppose they do of some sort. He was mm -hmm. questioning her at right. one point. That's the first time we saw him. So he's questioning mm -hmm. his mom right to her, right to her face. Mom. And questioning about her about why didn't you tell Jonas, you know, so which is his dad. You could have at right. least told him who yeah. the origin is. Like, so he's the person he questions him about is his dad. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, we'll see more stuff with him later, but we know that he's tinkering around with the, uh, the nuclear power plant, getting the, permit push through getting the keys to the the volume control system yeah um oh yeah um, he uh he offed burnt so that obviously has something to do with the power plant it something comes into play there um so i have a couple of paragraphs here at the end before the okay. questions were okay so I just said, obviously, this whole episode is about the revelation of the origin. They want to keep us guessing the whole time. 
Marta and Jonas are wrong, and their love has created a monster. The Minotaur oh. himself, the unknown. They give <laughs> the Minotaur an air of humanity in this episode. He carries an air of sadness, and his final quote hints at a creature who is totally alone. And that is why he keeps his own company. Jonas and Alt-Marta become one in this world and create a life. Because we met Marta one first, it's easy for us to think of this Marta as the copy, the lesser Marta. But mm -hmm. what if Jonas was drawn to Marta one because she reminds him of this Marta? <laughs> this Marta and Jonas have a similar path. Marta mm -hmm. one could never relate to what Jonas was going through. She was a phenomenal actress in the school play, but Marta one mostly just wrung her hands and pined after Jonas. This Marta has actual worries and feels more like his match. She now carries the weight of a world on her shoulders, the same as him. And their union is poignant and emotionally resonant in a way that Marta one never was. Wow. Good stuff. Um, yeah. This is the first time I'm um, hearing this. So I'm kind of taking it in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that makes me think about the fact that um, it's interesting that, that Martha is attracted to like the future version of Jonas who has already been hung and already, you know, been through some crap. Like when she meets him in episode six and he makes that impression upon her, that's like the wrong Jonas technically that she's attracted to. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So it seems like here, like you're saying kind of the same thing. Like Jonas is actually attracted to the qualities of a different Marta, mm -hmm. but he's just drawn to Marta because because he is drawn to Marta. You have the, <clears throat> I think, knowing just like this Marta is the one that has to do more of the stuff we see Jonas do. They are actually the perfect match, you know, not <laughs> the other sure. Marta because the other Marta, like he, yeah, she just couldn't relate. She never could understand what Jonas was going through, but this Marta does, and she's, you know, she's getting more and more all the time. And <clears throat> I think too, like she's the Marta one is the Marta he met first. And so you're like, well, uh, I'm attracted to this Marta because she reminds me of the other Marta, but what if you're actually attracted to that Marta? This is like multiverse stuff. It's like, what if you're actually mm -hmm. attracted to this Marta because she reminds you of this Marta? You know, like, so it's- That's a good question, yeah. Which one are you really, um, which one do you really like? And I mean, I mean, Alt Marta is awesome. She's got like the bob and the black clothes. <laughs> She's just- mm -hmm snappy dresser and like mm -hmm. i said other marta just sat around and wrung her hands a lot and was like where's Jonas? where's Jonas?" and <laughs> she didn't do much except for uh the play and she had a hunger strike going for her at the beginning <laughs> that's right yeah all martha seems like she's driven on a mission too and like she has yeah. determination behind her eyes yeah. that's right okay i'm with you yeah so who really is yeah, and it really, really is the uh, perfect match. I also want to talk about this idea of the origin. Come back to this. <clears throat> okay. Um, okay. So they're thinking of the origin as the unknown, this person. But I'm kind of like, 
what I'm seeing is the origin is actually Jonas and Marta. Okay. And because like, okay, in world one, Marta is killed. Right. It's that moment that Alt-Marta shows up. <clears throat> so Jonas and there always mm -hmm. has to be a Jonas and there always has to be a Marta. <laughs> um, okay. So then he gets dropped off in world two and then he connects with Marta two, who's actually Alt-Marta, but... <laughs> slightly different okay but the origin instead of thinking of the origin as the unknown i think we should think of the origin as Jonas and marta as like a, as an entity that are drawn to each other well sure but like their child would be like a manifestation of the two of them together right but where their connection would still exist even if the origin didn't exist correct oh yeah yeah sure it would yeah. I would think so, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it cycles back into itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hope not. But um, I don't know. We could go even further back and say the origin is, you know, when <laughs> when Jonas was birthed or when Mikkel went through or, you know. Or when uh, Michael hung himself, you know. Right. Yeah. That was that point. was the very first origin, quote that was, unquote, that we saw in the whole right. movie, in the whole show, right? That was a false origin too. Like that's what Jonas yeah. thought started everything. But that's not actually true. We found out later. Yeah. And what other um what other origins, what other moments have people said like this is where it all began? Um in the cave. Um Alt Marta says <clears throat> Alt Marta says this is the this is the day we first met, you know. Um, this is where it all began. This is the day we first met. Um, yeah, I think the sick moon, I mean, this like layer they've said before. This is where it all began too. Or the first time that the uh, the time machine actually worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I think Jonas and Martha. I think we're we don't need to deviate. I think. They're the center of the worlds. I believe that I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, th I think that you're correct that 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 they that they do encompass the origin. That their love story is the origin. Mm -hmm. And I guess the only other thing I'll say is <clears throat> I wondered if the tie-in, the tie-in to Hannah's uh, baby I mentioned is that right. They talk about. Um, her baby is a gift, even though it doesn't seem like it. And here's the unknown who's like a monster, quote unquote. But mm -hmm. is the unknown a gift? Like, <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, hmm. I, I don't see Because there's as a like gift. baby. You That's know, not they, how I describe them. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, the whole thing is that they, they want to. Like, Hannah was initially like, why would I want this child? Because this wasn't what I planned. And right. now it's like she's become the gift and maybe the thing that will keep her going. Next, next leg in her journey. And <clears throat> ultimately, Marta must... <coughs> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can edit all this crap out. Um, ultimately, Marta decides 
you know, the unknown is a gift because she doesn't abort him. She has him Mm -hmm. and she wants to continue to him to be in the world, even though Adam's trying to get rid of him, you know, so. Right. Well, of all these people, we got this episode, Lindsay. I'm going to bring us home here if you don't mind. (laughs) Okay. Who are you loving the most? Who's your favorite origin this <laughs> this episode? Do you have one that stands out to you? Um, I am going to actually give my favorite character award to the unknown for this episode. Oh, okay, unknown yeah. man. Here I'm you gonna go. go. I'm gonna go off script. This wasn't a <laughs> character I ever thought about making my favorite character but i think i think he's earned it i you know and i i've actually i've actually realized how much i've talked about him this episode too so i think mm-hmm. that's what my heart that's what my heart wants steve is to give the unknown <laughs> the award the heart wants what the heart wants okay he gives he gives his son um advice gives him a present um he gets that building permit move forward when nobody else could <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and he writes really sad words in this journal. Um, if you could give him a name, what name would you give him? If you could name helps. the unknown. Well, wait, let me tell you what else he's done. He helped Doris okay, sorry. Um, write her own love story and, and, get, and gave her the impetus she needed to, uh, to, move, to move forward with leaving oh, her husband. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Correct. So, um, yep. Give it to the unknown. What would I make his name? Mm-hmm. Um, let's go with Friedrich. Friedrich? Not Frederick, <laughs> but Friedrich? Friedrich. It's German. Like in oh. Sound of Music. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, solid. You had an answer ready, so I like that. That's good. <laughs> um, I'm giving it to somebody uh, somebody um, unexpected this week, too. Mm. Um, Hannah. Like, she, uh, you know, is not always the best character. Uh, doesn't always have the best intentions. And she even did a couple of weird things this episode too, I might say. But I mean, she did um, make a huge impression on um, on young Ms. Albers there. And uh, despite Egon being just a, a total weirdo and a total shit, um, you know, she overcame that. Um, I, I like her in this time period, like I said, like 800 times. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going toward, I'm leaning towards Hannah. I was thinking Trant maybe shout out to Trant. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, sitting on the log thinking about life. Um, got two women. I know how that is Trant, you know, you got to zap between two <laughs> ladies, but Hannah, Hannah outshines Trant for sure. When you said unexpected, I almost thought you were going to give it to Helene, which would be would have been sweet. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for her. I definitely, yeah. my heart goes out to her, but no, not favorite mm-hmm. territory. <laughs> How about least favorite? Well, speaking of Egon, I think I'm going to have to mm. give it to Egon. Yeah. Egon, it's not a good look for you to uh, be a jerk to your wife. And carry those flowers upside down and then just <laughs> drink right. at the table in front of your daughter and not even say hello to her. You're yep. being a big pill, Egon. Agreed. I mean, it it shouts Egon this week. So 
all for the same reasons. Egon's no good. He's on our bucket. He's on our shit list. Not our bucket list. <laughs> he's on our shit list. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if I um, if I have any honorable mentions, but yeah. Egon, yeah. And the only other person is Heinz for not showing up for work today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was killed. Maybe that's why he didn't show up to work. Behind the scenes killing like the unknown will do sometimes. We we knew you <laughs> too short of a time, Heinz. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, yeah, this episode was was very awesome. And this is going to like round us up into like, you know, we're now at the back end of dark. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I felt like this episode shined a lot more than the last one. I guess just because a lot more interesting things happened. And um, we got some revelations coming at us. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to keep going, Lindsay. Thank you for doing it with me as always. You are welcome. Thank you, Steve. I was, yeah, super excited about this episode. Heck yeah. It paid off. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I guess I'm going to get into our plug portion here. Um, I will plug your podcast like I love to, Lindsay. One of my stories. Um, I wouldn't be able to, I mean, I would do this podcast if you weren't here, but you're like doing all the heavy lifting here. So I like to give you the honorific. Um, I listen to your podcast on a regular basis because I like movies. I like your reviews of movies. That's, it's you know, I've, I've always listened to movies reviews and you fit right in there. The last podcast you released was a review. It wasn't a review. It was a discussion about the movie, The Mission which I haven't seen because a lot of people can't see it yet because it's only like for critics like yourself available and just, you know, how did you see it? Did you see a screener or did you have to go to like a, a underground yeah, theater an somewhere? I got an announcement and they sent me a link to watch it, but it should be available okay. to watch either the 8th or the 10th of this week. It'll be on Disney plus or Hulu. It's a national okay. geographic documentary so usually those are on disney plus well i'm not plugging the movie the mission i'm plugging your podcast discussion on the mission because i thought y'all had a great discussion you did it with a friend of yours who's also a film critic Mm -hmm. and the the topic of the movie the discussion is a a missionary um that you told me his name was john cho and he um I mean, he was, he was the subject of, of the news like years back. I knew the story of him. You guys go into a lot of details about that and you go into your own like relationship with, with religion and mission work. And I thought it was great. I learned a lot about you. So I think listeners of this podcast would benefit from listening to that, um, discussion. So that's my plug for the week is to listen to that particular episode of one of my stories. Lindsay's the mission thank you steve yeah i like that was a that was a good episode a good discussion uh i do recommend the movie as well but i think (laughs) even if you don't watch the movie it's not one of these it's not one of these things that um you'll be spoiled by because it was an event in the in the in the news john john Mm -hmm. chow um is the guy's name and he was a missionary who was killed 
trying to spread the gospel, quote unquote, to the North Sentinel Islands. So his it was a noteworthy event when it happened. And this mm-hmm. documentary right. kinds of kind of looks at his story. What was how did he grow up and what are some things that influenced him? And then kind of uses his story as a springboard to talk about missions work in general and is it a good thing or not? And the movie kind of wrestles with that, shows a lot of perspectives. And yeah, I think it's a fascinating movie and it's getting a lot of attention in the film festival circuit right now. But yeah, I enjoyed recording that episode with Andrew Sweatman from Art House Garage. So yeah, that's right. Give him a shout out. I I wanted to jump in that conversation too so many times (laughs) because I've got my own relationship like with the church and like with, um, you know, Christianity and mission work, but yeah, yeah, y'all's discussion was awesome. I loved it. Um, did you have any plugs this week anything you wanted to bring us home with? Um, I guess I wanted to say that Maestro is in some theaters, but no, you know, I don't think I have anything. I, I was like, Do I have anything? Um, I need to release my review of Maestro. Um, I did see The Color Purple last night, and that was a very worthy movie. So that's another one you can look forward to seeing. Um, Oh, and Godzilla Minus One. I don't know how many of our listeners are into kaiju, but Godzilla Minus One is an awesome movie if you're into godzilla you definitely want to see it but even if you've never been i think it's actually going to be in one of my top 10 movies of this year list i think i liked it that much so you should join um james's marshland media kaiju fest next year because he always has four different people on to discuss kaiju movies and uh there there's your in right there (laughs) discussing uh, some godzilla (laughs) because <laughs> I was on there talking about a kaiju movie, um, a gore movie where they did a kaiju kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just yeah. <laughs> just trying to get more connections made, Lindsay. That's all. Yes. Well, thank you. But Steve. yes. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for always joining me again. I'm going to wrap us up here so uh, we can get out for the evening and end our podcast, and we can get on to episode five next week. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, thanks again as usual. Hope you have a good evening, Lindsay. Yes, Steve. And I hope you find water and shade and and some really nice stuff. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) Some really nice stuff. I hope you find a bracelet that somebody Mm. gives you that doesn't want to know their parents anymore. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lens. <laughs> and you and everyone else, water and shade and shoes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>